Uh, tonight, uh, today, this morning, sorry, I'm all messed up with time. As I said, at the very top of the gathering, we, we film these on Thursday. So the teaching and the gathering will not reflect the world on Sunday, but it is going to, God willing, reflect um, something eternal, and that is God's kingdom. We're talking about the attributes of God in this, in this God Forever series. And t- today, this morning, I want to teach on the forever nature of the kingdom of God. We are told in that great announcement to Mary that uh, Jesus' birth would be the kingdom of God established through Jesus, and that would be forever. It says in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I want to talk about that. His kingdom that will never end. So let's pray. Lord God, um, what a crazy week this week has been. Uh, a lot of us just kind of st- stayed glued to our news and uh, social media channels and seeing what's next and what's going to be happening. And though uh, it's really important to know what's going on in our, in our context, in our world, in our locality, um, it is as important, if not more important, to seek first the kingdom. And not just to seek first the kingdom, but to know about the kingdom and its nature and its character and how your kingdom is coming. And it has come and it's breaking into our time and space. So I pray that um, you would give us uh, ears to hear, um, uh, eyes to see, uh, a heart to receive your kingdom in all of its fullness and empower us as your kingdom people to live a life worthy uh, of the calling by which you've called us. Um, Would you anoint me now and allow me to communicate these things um, with both passion and compassion, uh, I pray in the, the beautiful and strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. T- today's teaching is going to be a teaching. It's going to be a teaching. So if you are a parent of, a, of the, the young humans, um, you might want to go back and listen to the podcast and take some notes and that sort of thing. Cause it's going to be more of a teaching today. And I think it's going to be really important. Um, and, and Martin Luther King's very, very important book that I was rereading this last week, Strength to Love, Uh, collection of his sermons, Uh, there's a a chapter on how Christians should view communism. Now, by communism, uh, Dr. King meant Marxism. He was talking about Marxism. Marxism seems to be having a a resurgence in our social commentary as of late. And it's interesting because uh, in this sermon, King acknowledges and commends Marxism's passion for social justice and how its methods a political theory arose out of protest against the injustices inflicted on the underprivileged. At the same time, he agrees with the Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, when he called Marxism a Christian heresy, meaning Marxism had laid hold of certain truths which are essential parts of the Christian view of things, but bound them uh, bound to them are theories and practices which no Christian should ever accept. I think the same can be said about the new wave of Marxism that is moving across our culture currently. Uh, see our podcast on critical race theory for more information on that. But what I found really helpful um, is that the Reverend King in that same sermon also challenged the weakness of capitalism. 
And I, th- I think these two things uh, we have to hold in, in, in tension. Let me, let me explain what I mean. He said, he said that America's breed of capitalism has too often left a gulf between superfluous wealth and abject poverty. That it has allowed the, quote, injustice of some to wallow in the soft beds of luxury while others sink into the quicksand of poverty. And he concludes by saying this, quote, he does this like only Dr. King can. He says this, we must honestly recognize that the truth is not to be found in either the traditional capitalism or Marxism. Each represent a partial truth. Historically, capitalism failed to discern the truth in collective enterprise and Marxism failed to see the truth in individual enterprise. Capitalism failed to appreciate that life is social and Marxism failed and still fails to see that life is individual and social. And he concludes like this, the kingdom of God is neither the thesis of individual enterprise nor the antithesis of collective enterprise, but a synthesis which reconciles the truth of both. That is the kingdom of God as a synthesis that has the power to reconcile two different ideologies, two different ways of seeing the world. That is what I want to talk about for the next two weeks. Because the gospel of the kingdom of God must be a synthesis that brings people who are divided together. It must be able to enter into any culture and any subculture and complete that culture's narrative hopes and assuage the culture's fears. I think the, in the aftermath of our election, we are all once again shocked by how deeply divided our nation is. And as someone tweeted the day after the election, quote, a divided nation needs a united church. Amen to that. So what I want to tell you is that the only way to unite a faithful church is around the kingdom of God. Now, how can I say that? And what does that even mean? Uh, Turn to Mark 1, as Naomi told you to turn to. Um, As you're turning to Mark 1, I want to ask you to think of something as you turn there. I want you to think if, uh, if if I were to ask you if I were to call you on the phone, not Zoom you or whatever, but call you on the actual phone, and I said, I want you to summarize all of Jesus' teachings in one sentence. Um, or if you were to, to take one saying or a teaching of Jesus that best summarizes what Jesus is all about, what would it be? Now, if I would ask you that question, I would imagine some of you would say, love one another basically sums up Jesus' teachings. Or love your enemies, if you're a little bit more in the, like the, the social justice bent. Love your enemies. Now, what's interesting is that in the synoptic gospels, which synoptic gospels is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, all these writers, when they are writing the narrative account of Jesus' ministry, all of them start with Jesus preaching the same message. And it's this. The message of Jesus is that the kingdom of God is here. In other words, according to the writers of the Gospels, all of Jesus' teachings, Sermon on the Mount, all of his parables, everything he talked about were really teachings describing what the kingdom of God was like or what it means that the king and his kingdom has arrived. This message that the kingdom of God is here in Jesus is the essence of Jesus' message. It's literally the crux of how he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so you should be in Mark now, Mark chapter one, look at verse 14. 
This is what I want to preach on or teach on today. After John was put in prison, I'll get there in a second. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So let's start here. What is the kingdom of God? I would imagine for some of you, this is a common phrase that you hear and maybe you even use, but might be uh, super unclear on what it means or what it refers to, maybe. The expression, the kingdom of God, has to be set in a context. It has, the kingdom of God actually, that, that phrase has a history. Let me, let me define it for you. The kingdom defined is this. The kingdom of God um, is an expression that uh, embodied the hopes of the Jewish people that God would one day remove all evil from the world and inaugurate a new unprecedented age of blessing, prosperity, and joy. The kingdom, that's the history of the kingdom of God. It was an expression that embodied all the hopes of the Jewish people that one day God himself would come and remove all the evil from the world and they would, he would bring in and usher in the, a, a day where the mountains sing and the lion lays down with the lamb and there's peace and there's flourishing on earth. The hope was that the whole world would be under the rule of God. The whole world would be under the domain of God. This hope of the Jewish people was spiritual and spatial. It was spiritual in that the power of sin was destroyed, the enemy Satan was disarmed, and all people would worship God. So it was spiritual. This is what was going on in the, in the heart of men and women. But it was also spatial in that it was physical. It had a physicality to it. It meant the world would not know poverty or hunger. It was economic. The oppressive governments would be brought down. It was political. And the world would not know famine or deprivation, and all animals would get along. It was environmental. Right? So when the kingdom of God broke in, all these things would be true, spiritual, spatial, the, the whole world would be under the rule of God. Simply put, the kingdom of God was the rule of God where God became the rightful ruling king of the world. See, uh, the followers of God were an eschatological people and had an eschatological hope. Eschatology has to do with the end of all things. They were hoping for the end of all things when God would make all things new. Now, being an eschatological people meant they, they waited and clung to a hope of a better future, a future where God would right every wrong, restore all that is broken, and bring to an end the present evil age. Actually, human progress, which is uh, the secular aim of, of, of the future, is actually rooted in Judaism. It's actually rooted here in the hope of Israel that things won't get worse. They'll actually start getting better because God's rule will break in and one day make all things new. So even human progress is rooted right here. You don't actually get human progress through humanism. You actually don't, you don't get that. You get it through, it only comes through a, a Judeo-Christian ethic, but that's a whole different sermon. So they saw God, okay, so kingdom of God. They saw God closing a curtain on one age and opening a curtain on the other. Let me explain what I mean by that. God would close out this present evil age uh, and open up a brand new age, a new beginning. So he would close a curtain on this age, as you see on the screen, this side right here. So this age is defined by Satan's time, right? Characterized by sin, um, characterized by sickness, 
demon possession, evil people triumph. That's this age. That's basically 2020. And then this age here is coming where a time of God's rule characterized by the presence of the spirit, uh, righteousness, health, and peace. And so what, what the, the, the Jewish people believed was that uh, God would insert himself into history, close the books on one age, and open up the next age. Are you with me? Do you understand that? Okay. So when a Jewish person said or heard the kingdom of God, it meant something so deep about the nature and the character of God that it evoked emotions that were tied to their hopes and their fears, their present, and their future. It was like a really big deal. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah, which Mark borrows very, very heavily from, um, there was an uh, apocalyptic hope given to the people of God. Apocalypse doesn't, doesn't mean widespread disaster in this context or destruction. It meant a prophetic revelation concerning a, uh, a, a cataclysm in which the forces of good permanently triumph over the forces of evil. So this is, this is the prophecy, Isaiah 9. But there will be no more gloom for, for her who was in anguish. He has made the glorious way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at a harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff uh, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This was the prophetic hope, that there would be someone who comes. And it's interesting, look at verse one. He would come from beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Okay, so let's go, let's go to Mark, okay? If, if you have Mark open, you'll notice that right in our text, right before this, Jesus comes from beyond the Jordan, from Galilee of the nation. He actually got baptized in the Jordan River and then went and, and confronted Satan, and then he's coming from Galilee of the nations. Who is that person who came from beyond the Jordan and who just came into Galilee? Who is that person? It's Jesus. So Mark is telling us that this Jesus is the great light that is breaking into darkness, that those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, light is about to shine. And then Jesus says this himself by proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. So again, first century context. If you hear someone saying the kingdom of God is at hand, immediately you're thinking something, this, this present age is about to close and righteousness and joy and peace and prosperity, shalom, all that is about to open, okay? That's what you're thinking. Now, so that was the context for what the kingdom of God was in Jesus' day. Hopefully you're still with me. So let's keep going. When Jesus says that the time of waiting for God's promised intervention is over, what he's saying is that he himself, the king, is here. Therefore, what Israel has been waiting for, for generations, that God, the true righteous king, would break into their reality, into their world, and be the true and present king, establishing his kingdom, that 
the power, the sovereignty, and the rule of God would break into humanity and right every wrong and subdue their enemies. Jesus is saying he has come to do that. The kingdom of God is near. And why is the kingdom of God near? Because the king is near. Jesus himself is the king and he is near. Jesus comes differently because he's not presented as merely the one who brings his father's message the way like Muhammad is presented in Islam as the final prophet who brings Allah's message. Rather, Jesus is the message. He is the word as well as the one bringing it. The kingdom of God is near because I am near, Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is at hand because I am at hand. That's what Christ is saying. The king is in your midst. And then what we're shown in rapid fire succession in the rest of Mark's narrative is how the kingdom of God is actually breaking in, how the rule of God is actually becoming a present reality. Now, how does Jesus do this? Well, what he does immediately after he announces the kingdom of God is here because he's here, Jesus from Mark, and what I love about Mark is it's a very action-packed book. It like starts and it's right in there. He doesn't get into genealogy, not that that's boring, but I mean, kind of is. He just gets right into it. Jesus is immediately in chapter one confronting demons. So it's like, if you have ADD like me, you love Mark. He's like, gets right into it, right? So how does Jesus confront evil? Well, what does it look like? He, he, he literally goes after, reaches out to the most hurting and broken people. He literally brings uh, the rule of God to earth. This is why in Mark's gospel, uh, he begins, it begins with Jesus teaching in a synagogue and a man stands up who has a demon and who basically confronts Jesus. We know who you are, the son of God. And in Mark 124, it says, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? This is what the demon is saying to Jesus. Have you come to destroy us. What's the answer? Yes. The answer is yes. Jesus is there to destroy Satan. He is there to destroy the works of the devil. Actually, he says that in 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus comes to destroy the works of Satan and to deliver his people from Satan's rule. Now, we'll probably get into this a little bit more next week. Uh, the rule, our, we were supposed to be rulers in God's image, but we surrender that over to Satan in Genesis 3. We'll probably get there next week. And therefore, Jesus came to take back that rulership and that ownership because demons dominate people. Illnesses make people less than whole. Nature threatens to destroy and humans oppress other humans. And what King Jesus does is he challenges every other claim to power. Everything that comes against the loving rule of God, everything that keeps people in bondage, everything that keeps people from created order, the inbreaking kingdom of God brings freedom. The famous late missiologist Leslie Newbegin says this, Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil, not to submit to them, This whole ministry is portrayed in the Gospels as a mighty onslaught on the works of the devil. Whether these took the form of sickness and demon possession among the people or of hypocrisy, cruelty, and hard-heartedness among the rulers. And his whole ministry is interpreted as the breaking in of the reign of God into the life of the world to release those whom Satan has bound. I love that description 
the ministry of Jesus is the inbreaking of the reign of God in the life of the world. That's what the kingdom of God is. It breaks into the world and it restores and it makes whole. Now, remember how, when we defined the kingdom. We said the kingdom that the, the, the Jews believed that the Messiah would bring in was a kingdom that closed the curtain on one present age, Satan's dominion, and opened the curtain to the age to come, the rule of God, okay? So they used to think closed curtain, open curtain. But I want you to look at verse 14. Look at verse, verse 14. This is where I think hopefully things start making sense for you. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. After John was put in prison, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God. This, if this sounds strange to you, is because it is. This is a strange paradox. John the Baptist, who appeared as the herald of Jesus' message, was arrested and we're told later that he was beheaded in prison. He was arrested and beheaded. At the same time, King Jesus, who was ushering in the kingdom of God, the text reads, like the very moment that Jesus was bringing about the kingdom of God, John was being in prison and is about to be beheaded. At this, they were happening simultaneously in Mark's writings. As John was being in prison, Jesus was delivering the kingdom, was actually the kingdom that was breaking in. So question, if the kingdom of God is at hand, then why is one of its servants on his way to his undeserved death? Or said differently, if the kingdom of God was inaugurated by Jesus and is really present in human reality, how is it possible that seemingly innocent people still suffer and die? Or said differently again, if God is on the throne, why is there injustice? Why is there still death? and suppression and oppression. If Jesus is on the throne, why is there still these things? See, in the first century Jewish mind, this was not supposed to happen. If Israel's God was to become king of the world, an unjust government could not imprison one of his, its followers. It's impossible. These two things could not live at the same time. And clearly God in Jesus had broken into the realm of history. Jesus was literally casting out demons. He was healing the sick. He was forgiving sins. He was showing the power over nature, even over death. One time, when Jesus was accused of casting out demons by the power of Satan, he told, he replied, he said, if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom had come, and the proof was a reversal of Jesus setting things back to created order, the kingdom had come with fullness and power, signs and wonders. However, here we have John the Baptist. In the same breath, Mark says that John was arrested and Jesus was proclaiming the inbreaking of God. What in the world is going on? This is what commentators call, and you need to know this, the already, not yet, kingdom of God. The already, not yet, kingdom of God. Maybe you've heard this important phrase, and it's important not just to know it, but to live into it. See, the kingdom of God has actually come into history. It's already here. 
although we are, not, we are waiting still for its complete realization, it's not yet. Does that make sense? So the fact that we've seen people literally healed on Sunday morning when we prayed for them, we've seen people saved and freed from demonic oppression and even possession. We've seen um, all kinds of kingdom th- activity happen in the life of our church. At the same time, we've done funerals. We've seen divorces. We've seen really horrific things happen in the life of our church at the same time. The story of Jesus as told by Mark is a story of what it means to affirm that the kingdom of God is actually, though not completely, here on earth, which is why we still pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One one, in, one of the important ways Mark frames his story of Jesus is actually in two scenes. Scene one, Galilee. In Galilee, Jesus comes proclaiming the nearness of the kingdom of God. He does miracles and powers and signs and wonders. He walks on water, all kinds of stuff. The, scene, the second scene that Mark portrays for us is after chapter 11. It's a scene of Jerusalem. Jesus comes in riding on a donkey. People are shouting and trying to make Jesus king, saying, Hosanna, save us. Here, from here on out, there are no more miracles. Jesus would be betrayed and crucified. This is the tension that we have to hold to in this life. This tension of the already not yet. Yes, we affirm that the kingdom and the rule of God is taking place on earth and people are being delivered from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son to follow and worship Jesus. We proclaim that. Yes, we affirm that the kingdom and the rule of God has not met its complete realization yet. And evil still remains in this world. We must rightly understand this tension. The church has often been guilty of messing this tension up. For example, we have the too much now people. These are the kingdom already people. And this is where you get the social gospel. This is where you get hyper fundamentalists. And then you have the too much later people, the kingdom not yet people. This is where you get cultural Christianity and like Christian ghetto escapists. Let me explain what I mean by these weird phrases, okay? First of all, the too much now, okay? You have these people that are all about the kingdom now and they don't think of the kingdom to come. They're only in the kingdom now. So this is like very social gospel right? This is no real proclamation, no preaching of personal sin, no calling to radical repentance, just good deeds. Just give people a cold glass of water. Just do good things. Just get the social gospel. Meet people's social needs only. And we don't have to really do the whole preaching sin thing. That is not what Jesus is like at all. Jesus did both hand a cup of cold water and call people to repent and follow him. Both of them. So when you get too much now, it's all kingdom now, but it's not getting people ready like presenting a bride to Christ in the, in the kingdom come. Also, on the other side of this, you also get very hyper-fundamentalists. I take a deep breath for this one. This one's hard. These are the people that we see all over the news and Facebook that are trying to make America God's Christian nation again. I'm not talking about being Republican. There's nothing wrong with being a registered Republican at all. Just like, I don't think there's anything wrong to be a registered Democrat. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the brand of people who think it's their God-given mission to make this nation into something it, wouldn't, it never was, nor will it ever be. Theologian, D.A. Carson, 
on his book on Christ and culture says this. Speaking of fundamentalists, much of this cultural engagement is reactive. Fundamentalists spot directions being taken by the broader culture that they feel are immoral or dangerous and adopt strategies to confront them and if possible, overturn them. At the risk of generalization, they are reasonably effective at combating uh, what they do not like in the culture, even while exhibiting relatively little interest in the ways one should support the culture, working into the worlds of art and music, music and art. A substantial part of the appeal is to tradition. America may not be a Christian nation, they say, but is founded on Christian principles, and the movement itself is an appeal to return to such Christian principles. It would be more realistic to acknowledge that the founding of the nation was born along by adherence to some Christian principles and not others. After all, there cannot be many today from any camp who want to return to slavery. What he's saying there is that you get hyper-fundamentalists who just want the kingdom of God now. We want to make we want to make all the legislation and all the land of America all Christian. And they think it's only about life now and not the kingdom come. There's too much now, not enough later. This is the error of not living in the tension of the kingdom that is here but not yet. See, we either become extremely liberal or extremely conservative when we get one or the other wrong. Now the other side of it is we get too much later. What if you don't, you don't really think about this life, you only think about the next life? Well, this is where you get cultural Christianity, right? This is where you get people that say, Jesus is in my heart and I'm not going to hell and this world doesn't really matter so much, so I'll just drive my SUV, cut down a ton of trees and tithe and do what everyone else around me does. This is a total assimilation into culture. This is when a, the church looks nothing, like nothing different than the culture they live in. Because you're like, oh no, 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 uh, I, I asked Jesus in my heart, it's all good. I'm just going to heaven when I die. And they just think of like, there's too much later. I just think about that next life. This life doesn't really matter. I can let my body go to, go to whatever. I can let the world go to whatever because it's all about the next life. You get those type of people, cultural Christianity. But you also get another extreme form of this is Christian ghetto escapists. These are people that believe the world is going to hell so they want to escape and live in homogenous communities where everyone thinks and votes the same way they do. Some people call this the suburbs. I don't know. I don't live there. That's just what I've heard. Now this, both of these were not like Jesus at all. This is where you get like too much, like you either get too much now, kingdom now, or too much kingdom later. What we see in Christ is word and deed, holding the already and not yet in perfect tension. We affirm that God is, is not an indifferent spectator of human affairs, but is over all things, directing them to a specific end, even in spite of the seeming triumph of evil powers. John the Baptist is a victim of state violence. Yet, Jesus is announcing the gospel and inbreaking kingdom of God. This should make us really reevaluate what we really believe about the rule of God. The rule of God can break in at the same time righteous people could suffer and die. The inbreaking into history of the kingly power of God will indeed create happenings that will challenge the powers that oppress and dehumanize, which unmask the pre pretensions of principalities and powers, meaning we will preach the gospel to pre free people from their sins. We will serve the poor. We'll work against racism. We will, we will live to meet the felt needs of our community. All of these are signs of the end-breaking kingdom of God. Jesus commissions his disciples to continue what he came to do, to embody 
and announce within the limits of the present age, subject as it is to sin and death, the reality of the new age, the reign of God and his justice and mercy. However, the ultimate sign of the kingdom in the life of this world is the cross. It says, listen to begin. The cross of him who is in the resurrection is manifested as Lord over all powers, even the power of death. The kingdom of God is the reversal of all things, even power. Jesus didn't come to break the bones of the Romans or to rule with a scepter, not yet anyway. The symbol of power was the cross where he bled and died. The kingdom of God is so upside down that it hides victory in defeat. Think of it like this. Jesus gets proclaimed as the Messiah and as king of the Jews during his passion, during his crucifixion, during his execution. In his crucifixion, Jesus gets a robe, a crown, and he gets lifted up. Think about that. He gets a robe, a crown, and he was exalted, lifted up on a cross. All of this was done in mockery and irony, but it's the way God hides victory and defeat. Which is why, Christian, we can't be afraid of defeat in any form. If you feel particularly defeated today and are wondering where all these promises of God are lately, a lot of times they're hidden in suffering and in pain and loss and yes, even in defeat. This is the already not yet nature of the kingdom of God. And what this kingdom requires of you, it's exactly what Jesus said in Mark, in Mark chapter one, repent and believe the gospel. Repentance involves what you turn from. What Jesus meant by repentance was to abandon your set of agendas and embrace his agenda. Turn wholeheartedly to God. And I won't be naive and think that this does not take a certain level of belief. Jesus said it would take belief. It took a level of belief for people of God then and it will take a level of belief for you today to turn to him. Belief involves that you turn to something. You turn from something, you turn to something. You turn to the gospel. And what is the gospel? Simply put, the gospel is Jesus. He is the good news. He is the completion of the st unfolding story of God. He is where everything goes. He's the telos. He's the end, the goal of everything. He is the good news. He is the gospel. The gospel is the availability of the kingdom of God through the life and work of Jesus. It's the fact, this is exactly what Jesus proclaimed. The kingdom of God is here and it's available to you. You right now could have access to the rule of God in your life. Not just the rule of God, but because of that, the peace of God in the midst of this not yet world. It's available to you right now. Not next week, not when we meet in person, not next year when 2020 is over, right now. The kingdom of God through Jesus Christ is available to you and his rule is available to you and his reign and his peace and his overcoming of everything that's misaligned in our lives is available to us through what Christ has done. I'm gonna invite the worship team up right now and I'm gonna pray.
Lord, would you, um, wherever you're at, would you just open your hands to God in a posture of being open to him, uh, receiving from him. Um, I've been thinking a lot recently about giving God our consent, saying yes to God. Saying yes, if if your kingdom is available, I give consent for it to rule my life. I give consent to you, Jesus, to enter my life, to enter my mind, to take over parts that I keep hidden from you or hidden from other people. I give consent for your peaceful, loving, powerful rule to rule over all of my, all of my alliances and allegiances and to take over them all. Lord, thank you that you make your kingdom available to us. I, I pray for anyone sick right now, that your kingdom would break in and heal. For those that feel oppressed, that you would break in and, and heal. For those that are, are struggling with um, an addiction, would you bring your healing power, your kingdom come, your will be done. Would you change your mind and change our hearts? I pray that for those that don't yet know you, they would open up their mind and their lives to you right now, their heart, their mind, their, their whole self to you and repent and turn to you and be saved. I, I want to just pray for our church that you would help us to live in the tension, and it really is a tension, of the already not yet kingdom of God. That your kingdom is here and it is advancing and is setting the oppressed free. It's, it's binding up the brokenhearted. And at the same time, it's still really hard to live in, in this life and be human because it's still very broken and very oppressive and powerful people do bad things and rich people do bad things. We still live in a world where that's a reality. Bind up the brokenhearted, Lord. Help us not to turn into, turn into capitalist or Marxist. Help us be kingdom people. Would you help us to bring a synthesis of these two worlds that seem to be colliding, two sides, two different ideologies. Would would we become people that it's synthesized in our bodies, that we can hold both in beautiful tension? Bring unity, bring peace, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.